Praise the Lord for his presence here today. We are grateful for him working in our hearts and working in our lives. And his continual presence is uh, sweet. I hope you have sensed his presence already this morning as I have. uh, And as we have worshipped him and honored him today. Well, we pick up from where we dropped off two weeks ago uh, in the book of Philippians. And we're looking at the binding focus for his glory. As you remember, uh, we are bound together when we have the same focus. And of course, the focus that we are to have as believers is the focus of Jesus Christ. Amen? If all of us are focused on that same thing, focused on bringing him glory, honoring him, exalting him, praising him, living for him, then it binds all of us together as the people of God uh, in one uh, group together with one heart, one mind, one spirit. And today we're looking at uh, something called a gospel gain. We'll find here in Philippians 3 here in just a few minutes, verses 1 through 11, that Paul talks about losses and gains. And, you know, we hear some of that today, even in our own culture and our own thinking about losses and gains. You know, if you watch the stock, stock market, you probably uh, have heard a lot about losses and gains. You know, and you want gains and not losses, by the way. You didn't know that already. But there are a few areas that if you lose, you gain. As we think about our life, you know, and, and, and the way we live our lives, if, if there's some ways in which if you lose, you actually gain. Well, what are you talking about? Well, if you lose weight, like, if, like me sometimes, I, especially right now after eating too much pie, and if you lose weight, you gain health, right? If you lose sleep, then you gain time to pray. Sometimes if you lose bad friendships, you gain a better path. You know, when we think about losses and gains, when the people would look at Jesus on the cross, they said that's a loss, but we know it was a gain. Amen? So sometimes we think that they are exclusive of each other, but in reality, sometimes they are not. And what we think is a loss is a gain. Sometimes what we think is a gain is a loss. Well, there was a reading a story about a fellow who thought that he could gain, but he ended up losing. And this young man, was a, he was a go-getter. He was a salesman, and he loved the idea of really being competitive with his co-workers, and he was a vacuum cleaner salesman, and he would, they would go door-to-door. And he loved the idea of going out, and all of his co-workers were in the city, and, and he, they had this newfangled uh, vacuum cleaner with all the bells and whistles and all the new technology or whatever. And so a lot of people in the city were going to the neighborhoods or whatever. And he decided he was going to go back as far back as he could in the woods, in the, in the country. And he was going to try to gather all those people while all his co-workers were in the city. So he, he gets in his car, he goes uh, into the country, and he uh, comes to the, as far back as he can, and he goes to this house. And he comes to the house, he knocks on the door, and... Uh, a sweet little old lady opens the door, and he sort of busts his way in uh, as, a, as a vacuum cleaner salesman. And he begins immediately to tell her, hey, I'm here. I want to sell you this vacuum cleaner. And he begins to tell her about all the different bells and whistles and all the new technology, all the different things that were going on with this vacuum cleaner. And he goes and he says that this is the best of the best. And, he, and as he, in the middle, and she hasn't had a chance to say anything, and he's in her house, and and as he is uh, talking to her, he, he sees an ashtray, and he goes over to the ashtray, and he takes the ashtray, and he dumps it on the floor, and he says, what this vacuum cleaner won't pick up, I will lick up. And at this point, she finally has a moment to interject and speak, and she said, Sonny, 
you might as well get busy licking up because around here, these parts, there ain't no electricity. <laughs> I don't know the end of that story. I don't know if he licked it up or what. But there are some times we think we're going to gain, but we end up losing, right? Well, there are areas of our lives where we think that we're gaining. In reality, we're losing there as well. And so let's see today what real gain is. We want to see gospel gain. And we want to walk away knowing where real gain is. We want to walk away today knowing what real satisfaction is. We want to find what, what is, and here again, what is real fulfillment? What is real contentment? Where is real joy found? Where can I place re- confidence? And let's see what the, the Lord says to us through Philippians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 11. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand. And I'm going to read that for us uh, this morning. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. The Bible says this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evildoers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who... Worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence. You want to just underline this. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we are grateful. Lord, for the reminder here through the spirits using Paul to write to the church of Philippi, the spirit dealing with our own hearts in the reading of the word of God, that there is nothing that compares to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn our attention toward you or maybe back toward you today. Maybe those areas of our lives where we have placed a lot of weight, a lot of our confidence, to find, Lord, that there is still nothing that compares to you. Lord, may you have your way in all of our hearts and lives today. If there are those here that don't know you, may this be the hour of salvation. We believe, Lord, you brought us all here for a purpose and a plan. You know who's here, why we're here. And I pray, Father, for those of us who do know you as Savior, that Lord, it would be a time of evaluating our hearts and lives. Turn back to you. Put our focus back on you. Whatever the case may be, Lord, maybe there's a word of comfort you have for someone. Whatever it may be, Lord, may we be open and receptive to your spirit's moving. Father, we trust you. 
Lord, now may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we're looking at the outline. You see that in your bulletin as we look at this idea of a gospel game. The four things here we want to see in this passage of Scripture in verses 1 through 11. And the first thing that we really want to see is the infraction. Paul is going to give a warning here in just a few minutes in the first few verses, the infraction of the gospel game. And so we'll look at that, but let's sort of review a little bit. Remember that a couple weeks ago when we were together, when I preached then in the book of Philippians, we were talking about uh, how he introduced us to Timothy and Epaphroditus and how these are servants and how even Paul himself and his own servant heart, we see that throughout the book of Philippians and all of the New Testament. Uh, but we all, And then he, we remember also how the scriptures had told us here in the book of Philippians about how we are to be lights to this world that by not complaining. You remember that. And, and to be humble and to think of others, not only of ourselves, and to, uh, to keep, have the mind of Jesus Christ who taught us what it is to be humble and to be a servant. And so now, and then he said also in, earlier in the book about how they are to rejoice in the Lord. And here we find again in chapter 3 that we, he says, opening up in this chapter, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you is safe. It's not a troublesome thing for him to say to them over and over again to rejoice in the Lord, but indeed it is a safeguard to rejoice in him. And he then tells us what the infraction is in verses 2 and 3 because there, is, there are those in the church there. There are those in the church at Philippi. And indeed, we can understand that there are those in the church even today and the church nationwide and worldwide who are doing what was going on then, and that is that they were trusting in the flesh, trusting in the things that were not of the Lord, things that are of the flesh. And so in verses 2 and 3, he says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evildoers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who, who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is saying, look, rejoice in the Lord and not in the things of this world. Rejoice, find your joy in the Lord and not in the things of the flesh. Rejoice in the Lord, but beware of those who are trusting in the flesh. And don't become one of those as well. Beware of those. And here specifically, he's talking about a group of people in the church of Philippi who are the Judaizers. In other words, they were people who were saying that you needed to have more than Jesus to be saved. Now, they wouldn't say that let's omit faith in Jesus Christ, but before you can have faith in Christ, you need to become a good Jew first. That's what they were saying. And Paul is saying, look, these people, beware of the dogs. He is not talking about your French poodles, all right? He is talking about the scavenger, filthy, mangy dogs. And that's what he is calling the Judaizers. Beware of the dogs that are nipping at their heels and barking false doctrines. That are evil workers. Not just evildoers, mind you, but they are workers of evil. Because they are mutilating the gospel. That it is Jesus and Jesus alone. They're saying you need more than Jesus, to be a good Jew first and then become to know Christ, be circumcised, follow all the regulations and the rules. And Paul is saying, look, beware of them. Watch out for them. And watch out for anything that is added to the gospel. 
Watch out for anything that deprives us of only Jesus. That's what he's saying. Beware, beware of putting confidence in or trusting in or seeking to find your fulfillment in the things of the flesh or of the flesh. And in essence, as he speaks this, as the, the Holy Spirit speaks this through Paul to the church at Philippi, we need to understand something on this end of it is that we also need to hear this today as well. Amen? You say, well, pastor, there, there, there are no Jews here at Mount Pleasant who are telling us that you need to become a Jew first before uh, you become a Christian. Well, no, that's not the case at all. But, but even though there are no Jews telling us to put our faith in doing good things, we need to be aware, however, of putting our trust in and confidence in in the things of the world at the exclusion of Jesus Christ. We need to be very careful to beware, to beware of anything that deprives us of Jesus. Wouldn't you say that we need to hear that today? Amen? Aren't there things in this world that would deprive us, that, that we would put in place in our own lives, that would deprive us of having a, a, a prospering, blessed, beautiful relationship with the Lord? You see, the Judaizers were looking for gains in the wrong places, but so are so many people today, especially in our prosperous country in which we live. People are placing their trust and their confidence into things of the flesh, the things of the world, the things that are around us. We say we have faith in Jesus, but just like uh, the Judaizers, we often consistently put our confidence and our trust in other things. But here's what we need to understand is that those things that we think, listen, those things of this world that we think are so important that we have to strive for these things, that, we, that these are such great gains that I need to have in my life, Paul would say, look, all those things are nothing compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And we live in that day where we're putting a lot of things in our confidence and a lot of the things that are around us, and we need to hear that same message today to be very careful that we're not putting those things above Jesus Christ. Say, oh, well, we don't do that, Pastor. Well, good, that's great. Then we can just go home now. Well, we're not going to do that, all right? So let's just walk through, all right? So the infraction then is placing our trust in or having confidence in or seeking to find fulfillment in the things of this world, but understanding that the things that we oftentimes are putting our trust and confidence in of this world will not last. And they do not bring us lasting joy or satisfaction. As a matter of fact, they don't bring us hope at all. They may feel good for a moment, but ultimately they do not bring us the hope that we desperately need, the confidence that we desperately need in this world. Some of these things are not bad. Now listen, some of these things are not bad in and of themselves. But too often, our pursuit of those things, where the, the importance of those things in our lives, they will distract us from what is really important. And so then we see the second point, which is the distraction. So the distraction. If you look at verse 4, Paul says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that we have, he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul is saying, look, if anyone could boast in the flesh and have confidence in the flesh and the things and the accolades and the aspirations and the things of life and this world around us, and look, I got it. He says, look, I've got this. He's going right to the heart of the Judaizers. Look, if you guys are looking for that sort of thing, 
I am the chief among those who've got all these things in place. But we see that there are distractions. You see, distractions are things that we tend to rely on or trust in, have confidence in or strive for or desire as a gain because we feel that they are the things that we need to shoot for because we think that they're the things that we need in our lives to make us feel good, to fill that void, to satisfy our lives, and we need those things to have joy. We trust in those things. We consider them our assets, and we strive for these things, having confidence in them, uh, the things of this world and things of the flesh. But here's the thing that we must always remember, that we may go after the accolades of life. We may go after the, the plaudits. We may go after the kudos and the attaboys. We may go after the things of the flesh. But here's the thing. When we are going after those things, it is never enough. It's never enough. We feel, sometimes we feel like i got to have this in my life to feel good about myself. And so we'll get one of those accolades, or we'll get an accomplishment, or we'll get this, or we'll get that, and then pretty soon we're down in the dumps again because it was not enough. Paul says, look, those things of this life are just distractions to what's really important. Y'all follow me this morning? All right, so they become a distraction. They're a hindrance, these things of the world, the things of the flesh. They're a hindrance to living the Christ-central, the gospel-oriented life. They distract us from keeping Jesus first and loving him with all of our heart. Now, they distract us from knowing him fully. Verse 5 and 6, Paul then lays out, you know, the things of the flesh that would have been certainly vitally important to the Jew of that day. In verses 5 and 6, he says, I'm circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, look, these things were so important to me. These things, I, I held confidence. I was really confident in these things. Having the right past and the right pride. Having, striving for those aspirations and the accolades and the actions that are all good. Here, he said, this is where I was finding my fulfillment. It's, it's where I was placing my confidence. It's where I was seeking to have real joy. But he, remember, he says, but rejoice in the Lord, not in the things of the flesh. But he's laying this out for them to see that these are the distractions. Circumcised the eighth day. He says, I was a real Jew, born a Jew. Not like the Ishmaelites who were circumcised at the age of 13. Or even those who were proselytized and brought into the Jewish faith. And they, had, they were circumcised later in life. He said, no, I was a Jew's Jew. My parents were Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, I'm an Israelite. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin, Benjaminites, were, were very esteemed tribe of Israel. It's the, it's the tribe in which David came. They were loyal to their king. And so these, this is his past. He said, these, these are the things that were so important. Concerning the law of Pharisee, I had the right aspirations, a great education, the, the strictest doctrine as a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church, meaning that as a Jew, they, that was one of the things that they needed to do to, to really move forward is to be uh, active against the church, their enemy at the time. So uh, zealous, I was persecuting the church. I made my way up into the Sanhedrin and making a difference by persecuting the church. And concerning the righteousness and the law, well, I was following to the best of my ability. As a matter of fact, I was blameless, faultless. I was a good guy. 
So what does that have to do with us? Well, you know, we may not say these things about our lives, but we'd say other things. Things like, hey, I was raised in that church. I've been a good boy all my life. I was a member of New Prospect or First Baptist or Mount Pleasant. Been to Baptist my whole life. I'm proud of my heritage. As a matter of fact, I have been here. I hadn't missed a, missed a Sunday in 30 years. My name's on the plaque I give every Sunday. There's a pew named after me. So if you want to know about what I've done you know, with my life as a, in the faith, here it is. Here's where my confidence is. Boy, I, I've got the long list of ribbons on my, on my chest of all the things that I have accomplished as, as a person who is a part of the church. Paul says, look, all those things that are so important to us are loss compared to Jesus. Not to say that they're bad in and of themselves, but sometimes they get in the way of having a prospering, fruitful, faithful, beautiful relationship with Jesus. Y'all with me? They become distractions to us. It becomes what's most important to us. That's what was happening here. These other things were most important to the people. Paul had once considered all these things as gain of great importance, advantages to strive for. He thought to have these brought fulfillment and satisfaction. If I had the accolades, if I had the accomplishments, if I had the strictest doctrine and the education, he had longed for them and relied on them and strived for them. As a matter of fact, it was the, he was the highest ideal that a Jew could ever hope to attain. And Paul says, but all of these gains in his mind and people's minds of the day are one big loss apart from Jesus Christ. Here's what we learn. I may have a good name, an awesome heritage. I may have good aspirations, accolades, and achievements. But if I am straining to retain them and gain them so that it deprives me of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is not worth it. And it is a loss. And that's not to say that it's not important to have good doctrine. We must be careful of our doctrine. It's not to say that we're not, it's, that it's not important to have education. Those things are important. It doesn't say that it's not important to be at church every week or give our tithes, whatever it may be. Those are things important. But we must make sure that they're not becoming the end point. We do all things for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we don't want them to get in the way of us and thinking that this is what we really need to put our focus on because it's what's really important. No, Jesus is the most important. And as we have him as the most important part of our lives, the other things fall into place as they're supposed to. That's how it works. When we know Jesus and know him fully, everything else falls in place. But these things were so important to Paul at that time, as so he thought, but they were merely distractions to the best. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, like a lot of religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It was not, watch this, it was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. He had to lose his religion in order to find salvation. Boy, that's truth, isn't it? He had to lose his religion in order to find salvation. Hey, can I ask y'all a question this morning? Hey, 
what is your religion? What's your religion? Now, you would quickly say, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Christian. Okay, all right. That's good, except that as we talk about Jesus, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. But the definition of religion is this. One of the definitions of religion is a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. So what is it about your life that you have placed supreme, supreme importance? It's the most important thing. Is it your family? Is it the pride of your past? Is it the politics? Is it some organization? Is it getting the accolades? Is it climbing the ladder of success? Is it the achievements of life? What is it that has supreme importance in your life? And whatever that is... That's where your religion is, what's most important to you. I know you've probably heard the quote, but let's hear it again, where someone said, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find that once they reach the top, that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Someone else, this week I was reading, wrote this. If the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, then every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. So brothers and sisters, listen. We need to evaluate our hearts and our lives, and maybe it's time to move the ladder. Amen? Maybe it's time to move the ladder. If we're going in the wrong direction, if we don't have our ladder against the right wall, if we're placing our hope and our our, we're striving for things and our confidence in the things. If we don't have those things based, based upon Jesus Christ, then our ladder's against the wrong wall. It needs to be Jesus. Amen? He's what is to be our, our, our importance, our priority, our passion. And so we see from the distraction, then we move from the infraction to the distraction, then we see in the next verse is the transaction. So where do we find that place that is finally enough? Where, do we, where am I truly fulfilled? Where do I find this place of lasting joy? Where, where can I place my confidence? Where can I be satisfied as I go through stuff in life, as I live my life out? Where, where can I know that I am comfortable, that I know that I have rest, that I know that I have joy, that I know that I have peace, that I have this confidence? It's found, here it is. It's found in Jesus. Amen. That's where it's found. It's found in Jesus. Now, if you look at uh, verse 7, uh, it says, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence. I'm moving through verse 9. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul is saying, look, that which I used to think is so important isn't. I have counted them as loss for Christ. Because I have Christ, I see the things that I counted so important to me now as rubbish. The scraps from where you're preparing dinner, Right? The things that you're not going to serve, things that are no longer good, it's the rubbish. It's not important. These things are rubbish to me for gaining Christ. He's what's important. He says, I count, watch this verse 8, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. All things are lost for the excellence. That word literally means the surpassing worth. Everything is lost in compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Nothing is as important as knowing Jesus Christ personally as the Lord and Savior of my life. That's what he's saying here. Can you say that as well? That there's nothing more important than Jesus. That nothing else matters. That I count all things lost for that surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. The knowing is having that intimate companionship and communion with him. You see, because Paul knew Jesus before he came to know Jesus. Y'all follow? He knew all about Jesus. He knew that he died on a cross. But he didn't come to know Jesus until Jesus came to know him on the Damascus Road. Amen? And he called, he arrested him in his steps on the Damascus Road and changed Paul's heart so that Paul was now not placing his confidence in the things of this world and the things of of his own doing, but now he knew that his confidence was in Christ alone. He's the hope. So Paul, we see here, is saying, look, I count all things loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That Jesus had saved him from perishing and changed his life, for he is now found in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, listen. Our lives are no longer the same once Jesus gives us hope. Are y'all with me this morning? I mean to tell you that when Jesus gets a hold of our lives, we are no longer the same. Nothing nothing else matters to us except that Jesus Christ is our hope, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Redeemer, our friend, our comfort, our light, our guide. Nothing else matters to us, right? We live our lives for Him. We are found in Jesus Christ, and all things are considered loss for the excess, surpassing worth of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. You see, when I know Jesus by faith, I am confident in him. My confidence is not found in that I'm the pastor of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. My confidence is not found in that I preach a sermon each week. My confidence is not found that I have the accolades and letters behind my name. No, my confidence is found in Jesus Christ alone. Those things will come and go, but Jesus stays forever, amen? I'm confident in him. I, when I know Jesus by faith... I am found in him. I am holy in him. I am righteous in him. I am clean in him. I am saved in him. I am lifted from hopeless despair in him. I rejoice in him. I have joy in him. I am satisfied in him. I am fulfilled in him. I am assured of life forever in heaven in him. And I am complete in Jesus Christ. The things of this world cannot even begin to compare to Jesus Christ. It's the transaction of Jesus paying for my sin on the cross of Calvary. He says in verse 9, not having my own righteousness, I'm being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul knew that compared to his friends, he was an okay guy. But compared to Christ, he was not perfect. He needed the perfection of Christ to save him. 
He needed Jesus, what he did. So the transaction is that he trusted Jesus by faith. And as he did, Jesus took his sin. And Jesus gave Paul Jesus' righteousness. So now he is saved by faith. It's not Paul's own righteousness, but the righteousness of God by faith. He is saved and he has hope. What a beautiful transaction. Amen? I hope you know this transaction. Hope this happened in your life where you've trusted Jesus by faith. Then Paul says, look, that's what really matters is knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. It's the surpassing worth. It's, it far surpasses anything that this world has to offer. Any of the accomplishments and the accolades, any success you may seek to find, it, Jesus surpasses it all. We see the infraction, the distraction, we see the transaction, and then we see the satisfaction. Verse 10, 11. Paul says, here's real satisfaction, to know him as Savior and to know him as Lord. Verse 10, 11, he says, that I may know him. He had this righteousness that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, look, here is real satisfaction to know him as Savior and to know him as Lord. Because, listen, knowing Jesus fully is to know real satisfaction. To know him fully. And to know Jesus fully should be the desire of every born-again believer. To know him fully means not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. I told the ladies yesterday at the women's uh, fellowship at the brunch, had just a couple minutes with them, that saw somewhere on social media that there is a difference in saying a prayer and in praying. Oftentimes, we just get by with just saying a prayer. But if you want to know Jesus fully, how about spending some time in prayer with Jesus? Amen? Praying to him, talking to him. It's a two-way conversation. Talking to him and spending time with him and reading the Bible, hearing from the Lord, worshiping him, spending time with him. And, and by the way, you can worship the Lord not only on Sunday morning, but throughout your week as well. Lifting up and honoring him, knowing him fully as we focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, that knowing Jesus fully should consume us as believers. Not, not the things of this world, not having confidence in the things of this world. Not, and so instead of deadlines and calendars consuming us, instead of activities consuming us, instead of seeking the bigger office or the continual accolades or the actions, whatever it may be, consuming us, what should consume us is seeking to know Jesus fully, spending time with him. So he says knowing Jesus fully, but also knowing the power of his resurrection. This is satisfaction, knowing him, but also knowing the power of his resurrection. What is this power? It's the power that we have as believers to live a life of love for Jesus Christ. It is the power that is within us as believers to practice our faith in Jesus Christ. It is the power within us as believers to overcome the temptation and the sins daily. And, and, and the power is to be able to point people to Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, this is satisfaction in knowing Jesus fully, but knowing the power of his resurrection. 
You see, friends, listen, you need to understand that because you are a child of God, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And as the Holy Spirit dwells within you, there is a power within you that's not just any kind of power. It is the power of the resurrection. Well, how much power is that? It's the power to raise Jesus from the dead. Amen? It's the power of the resurrection, and that dwells within you. He gives us the power to live this life out for him as he's the Lord of our lives. Paul says, look, to know Jesus and to know that power of his resurrection as I live for him and love him and point people to him, and there's satisfaction in that. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 3, he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. We sell ourselves short of what we're able to accomplish. And as a matter of fact, it's not us who's doing it anyway, but God can do some amazing things in and through you because of the power that's at work in you. Well, what kind of things? Well, I don't know, because it says it's exceedingly abundant above all that I could ask or think. I can't even think about them, it's so much. Amen? According to the power that works in us. To Him be the glory, not for our glory, but for His glory. Paul says, look, this is satisfaction to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Are y'all with me this morning? I mean to tell you, that's what it is to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. It is not the things of this world. It is to love him and to follow him and to know him fully and know the power of his resurrection and to know the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul says. Oh, that brings satisfaction. To know the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, we don't like to think about suffering. and Oftentimes we don't. Because we're not pointing people to Jesus. And we're not living it out. So we're not suffering for the sake of Christ. We don't want to suffer. And so we continue to try to find satisfaction in other places, getting people to like us, friend us on Facebook or whatever it may be. We think that's where we're going to find satisfaction. It may happen for a moment, but it does not last. Our satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, look, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Where's Paul? He's in prison right he's in prison while he's writing this he is suffering for the sake of Jesus and he is telling them to rejoice in the Lord not in the things of this world not in the things of the flesh but rejoice in the Lord well why it's because here's why because Paul satisfaction and his confidence and his joy is not found even in his freedom or in his accolades or his accomplishments. He says they are all loss. He is able to tell them to rejoice because he knows the gain of Jesus Christ. That he is all that matters. Whether you're in a palatial, beautiful castle of a house or whether you are in prison. Jesus is all that matters. For he is the one who satisfies. To suffer for the sake of Jesus in this prison doesn't cause Paul to moan or groan or complain because he is satisfied, he is confident in Jesus, and he rejoices. Paul would say, it's by his grace that I have been resurrected. I have been raised from the dead. I am now alive 
in Jesus Christ. I'm now alive in him daily. I have newness of life daily. And one day I'm going to be really alive when he raises me up and I see him face to face. And that is where my satisfaction is found. That is where my hope is. That's where my confidence is. It's not in the things of this world that cannot offer that. It is only in Jesus Christ. So two real thing, quick things to do. Number one, as we think about what's really important in life, number one is to evaluate your investment. In other words, where are you investing your life? What is really important to you? Where are you placing your priorities? Do an accounting, do an accounting of your life. Evaluate your investment and ask yourself as we think about ladders against walls, is it time to move the ladder? What's most important? It should be Jesus. Knowing him, the power of his resurrection, fellowshipping even in his sufferings, to know Jesus. Do you need to move the ladder? I was reading a story this week, too, about uh, Korean Airlines flight back in 1983. It's flight 007. It had departed from Anchorage, Alaska. It was a direct flight to Seoul, Korea. But unknown to the crew as they were getting, you know, taking off is that their computer engaging the flight navigation system, it contained a one-and-a-half-degree routing error so that it was going to lead them in the wrong direction. So at the point of departure, the mistake was unnoticeable. And even 100 miles out, it didn't detect, it was still undetectable. But as that giant 747 continued through the Aleutians and across the Pacific, the plane strayed increasingly off of its course, its proper course, and eventually it was flying over Soviet airspace. Well, the Soviets at that time picked up the era and the fighter jets were scrambled uh, into the air to intercept this Korean airline. And over mainland Russia, those fighter jets shot down Flight 007 out of the sky, and everybody on board of that passenger plane lost their lives. Now, here's what we can take from that. Beloved, choose your direction well. Make sure that your navigation system is pointing in the right direction. Amen? Make sure that Jesus is the most important in your life. Set that on your compass. Set that on your internal GPS. And make sure that you are constantly reevaluating your investment and making sure that your life is centered on Jesus Christ. Evaluate where you're headed. Evaluate where you're investing your life. And listen. Make the adjustment now. You say, well, it's too late for me, preacher. I've lived a long life already. It's too late for me to make an adjustment. Oh, no, you're here today by the grace of God. And it could be that you're here for this very purpose, for God to say to you, it's time now to make that adjustment in your life, to make him first and foremost. Move the ladder as he is, he's the one who does it anyway. Just yield it to him. Lord, move my ladder. Help you, I want you to be the first passion, my first priority, that you be the one that I'm placing my confidence in. So evaluate your investment. And then secondly, know Christ and be found in him. Know Christ 
Know him. If you don't know him as Savior, know him as Savior of your life. As you know that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus Christ in humble repentance. We embrace believing that this is the Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave. We believe that with all of our heart and we profess him as the Lord and the Savior of our lives. If you've never done that, come to know him. Not just know about him, but know him as your Savior and Lord today. And if you already know him as Lord and Savior, then know him fully, being found in him, trusting him, living with him, praying to him, talking to him, reading his word, worshiping him, exalting him, pointing others to him. Be found in him. Know him. Know the power of his resurrection and even know the sharing in his sufferings. But listen, as you know Jesus you realize that he is all that matters. Amen? He's all that matters. As I was preaching the first service, a song came to my mind. I didn't sing it, and I'm not going to sing it here. A song came to mind. Old song. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Paul would say, there is nothing that compares to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray you know him today. Let's pray. Father, may you have your way in in hearts and lives. Lord, there is nothing that compares to you. And truly, Lord, the longer we serve you, the sweeter you grow. We know, Lord, that you have saved us, brought us up from the pits, given us hope. You live in us daily to guide us and direct us, to be in a relationship with you, to know you fully. And one day we know we're going to see you face to face where we will bow before you and honor you and serve you and exalt you for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that while we're here on this earth, that our hearts and our focus will be upon you, having confidence in you, and not in the things of this world, not having confidence in the things that oftentimes take the precedence and take the priority, where nothing else matters in the large scheme of things but knowing you, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, may you help us today to come to that place where we need to be and our walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you be with us as we come to this invitation for those who may need to come and say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life or those, Father, who need to say, I want him to have control over me. I want to worship at his feet. I want to know him fully. I want to live in the power of his resurrection. I want a fellowship in his sufferings to be a faithful child of God. For nothing else compares. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing at the cross. You come. Pastor Luke will be here. I'll be here at the front for you to come and just pray silently. You come. We'll be glad to pray with you. As God has dealt with your heart, to yield to him, maybe to move the ladder today and let him have control. Let him be first in Jesus.